What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguera. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny enough, and I'll tell you why. That's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Welcome to Death Row Diaries, the only podcast hosted live from Death Row. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And if you're hearing this, you are a Patreon subscriber, and we really appreciate that. So thank you for subscribing. Tell a friend about the show. And yeah, you can send us questions on Patreon if you have any. We'll get to those in the next week. Bill... Why don't we continue our discussion about what was his name again? What's this guy's name? Larry Hall. Yeah, I always get confused because there's the Monty Hall is a math problem. He was the host of a, a the Gong <laughs> Show. <laughs> yeah, Monty Hall, pal, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Larry Hall, and uh, and and the situation where he was brought down from prison. Um, so it's interesting. You have a lot of information on this because you've uh, read the book by Keen, and who's the guy that uh, infiltrated Hall from uh, from inside the prison. Um, I've actually seen the show Blackbird, so I have mm, maybe not as much information, but maybe a different perspective. Who knows how accurate it is? But... Um, yeah, where did we kind of leave off on this? Why Why are you... I, I think you're particularly interested in this case. Is that fair to say? That's absolutely fair to say. And the reason I'm so interested in the case is because, of course, you know, James Keene, who is the, the inmate, the prisoner who was sent into the Mental Institute, the federal uh, medical facility, to befriend and ultimately fool Larry Hall into confessing where the bodies were. You know, it's really interesting to me. I think it's interesting that everybody, that guy is able to do this. But, you know, we've seen it before that, you know, it takes a criminal to catch a criminal type of thing. Well, with with James Keene, he just, the perfection of what he did was, I mean, there's nothing else to be said but that this guy really read a situation he got into the head of a guy who's very introverted, a guy who doesn't really talk to a lot of people. But what's so interesting about it is how he did it in such a short span of time. And that really adds to how good how good Jimmy Keene is at what he does. And we've talked about him being charismatic. He's a good-looking guy. He's an athlete. And the kind of guy that Larry Hall is not. You know, I, I, I've talked to this, 
about this to you in that every person needs someone to affirm who they are or to at least reaffirm what they believe. And what Jimmy Keen was able to do was get Larry Hall to really trust him. And I think the pivotal moment was when some guy tried to bully Hall and James Keen stepped in. That really cemented that this guy Keen was going to be his friend or at least a guy that he could trust. You agree? Yeah. Yeah, because Hall is a pretty obvious target for bullies. Even though Keen is an athlete and I'm sure he can kind of hold his own, there's also just, like, it doesn't matter how tough you are when it's just a weight issue. Like, you could be really tough at 150 pounds, but even if a guy just kind of knows what he's doing and weighs 300 pounds, you're going to have a really tough time you know, uh, taking that guy on just because of the weight. Another way of saying it is like all those UFC fighters that weigh a hundred pounds. Uh, I might be able to beat them up because they're tiny men, but I, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I, I, I would agree partially with you. And the reason I say that is because this USC MMA phenomenon and these weight classes just started a few years ago because when Dana White decided to um, bring in the athletic commission so sponsorships are coming, it was about money. When UFC first started, it was there was no weight classes, just like when I fought in, in, in the tournaments in the, in the Hot Keto and the Taekwondo associations. There were no weight classes. It didn't matter if you weighed 100 pounds or 300 pounds, you fought. And the theory is you're a black belt, and it doesn't matter. So in some ways I agree that when normal people are fighting, yes, a 300-pound man and a 100-pound man, you still 300-pound man will win. But if you put a man who is 100-plus pounds, 150 pounds, and knows what he's doing, and you put him up against a man who weighs 300 pounds and doesn't know what he's doing, I would put money on the younger, on the smaller guy every single time because he knows what he's doing. Jimmy Keene... Um, is an athletic guy, and I think that he's ultimately a pretty violent guy, and he expressed that. That caught Larry Hall's attention, and this is the, this is like I believe that moment when someone, at first, there's an interest peaked in him, and I've done something similar to that. I piqued a serial killer's interest, and when I exposed a little bit more of my hand, as Jimmy King did by expressing that. He also hated women and how they made him feel sometimes, insecure, vulnerable. That right there cemented the relationship between James Keene and Larry Hall, so much so that Larry Hall felt that he could open that door and show Keene what was inside. All right. Yeah, so going to the origin of this whole thing, and this was in the TV show. I have a few problems with the TV show, but I'm going to try and ignore them and remain positive. Uh, but in the show, Keen is in prison. He's for drugs and possessing firearms. And he's doing 10 years. And in the show, the 
uh, I guess it's the FBI comes to him. Yeah, the FBI comes to him. It's a hot chick at the FBI, obviously, for TV purposes. And they approach him about going into the prison where Hall is. And that's a federal, I think it's a mental institution, if I have that right. And and Keen is opposed to it. He's like, no, I'm just going to serve my 10 years. And, you know, I just, I don't want any part of this mental institution because there's a bunch of freaks there and it's going to be really scary. And I don't know if that's accurate or not. I don't know if that's in his book because it seems like he's kind of a proactive guy and it seems like he would jump at that opportunity and just putting myself in his shoes. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to spend an extra day in prison that I don't need to. So I would think he would relish the opportunity, but I don't know if it was just a manufactured conflict in the show, but you know, he, he blew it off and he didn't even do it until he realized his dad was sick in the show. Um, that his dad had like five years to live or something. But uh, so is that in the book? I mean, would did the real guy actually not want to do this and kind of, you know, him and haw about it? And and yeah, I, and my question is, why was he so afraid, I guess, of the um, <clears throat> federal mental institution? Well, I don't think Jimmy King was afraid to go there. That wasn't the point. Jimmy, James King, Jimmy King was... A criminal, and and, and I'm going to let's be completely candid here. Just as I was a criminal, or I'm a criminal, and had the FBI come to me and said, "By the way, you have you know 30 years to do. Uh, we'd like you to go to another prison, and we want you to inform on somebody. In other words, we want you to turn into a stool pigeon." and rat somebody out, I'm going to have second thoughts about that, and I'll tell you why. Sure, the prospect of getting out is very important, but understand that James King was a drug dealer and an arms dealer, and that was his life. If he informed on somebody got out, the chances that he would continue to be able to work as a drug dealer arms dealer, an all-around bad guy or criminal that had a reputation for keeping his, would evaporate. He had zero credibility with that world, which is the criminal underworld. Now, I am sure that once he thought about it and he realized his father was going to die, that motivated him to say, I care for more for my father than I do about my reputation as a criminal. But I think that is the point that made him do what he did. The reason he didn't want to do it was he didn't want to be labeled a snitch. That is a huge problem for a guy who's a criminal and is in prison. Or a criminal is going to continue that enterprise. Believe me, Jimmy King, before this opportunity took place in his life, he had no intention of becoming you know, a law-abiding citizen. He would have continued on if he got out dealing drugs. So he would have continued on in that lifestyle. Maybe not at first. Usually guys get in prison, they're good for a couple months. They begin to feel the world. And when they realize there's nothing else that they know, they go back to that old, old, um, that old hat. All right. So not being a criminal, I guess I didn't factor in the prospect of him looking out for his future criminal activities while in prison. Well, when he, when he got out too, when he got out, remember, 
remember, he's going to go back to his old hat. He, he, people go to prison, they just, you know, learn a trade. I mean, that's something that's in California more progressive, they do that. But Jimmy Keene, he, his plan was to do as much time that he had to do and get the hell out and go back to what he knew. This opportunity, his father's death, made him, okay, I'm going to embrace being an informant. That is a big problem for guys in prison. So would he have had a reason to actually be particularly afraid of the federal mental institution? Like, you know, the the well, insinuation is that it's like a Silence of the Lambs scenario where there's a bunch of freaks in there and, you know, he's afraid of these creeps. Well, I don't think he's afraid of them. He's a pretty well-put-together guy. Guy is not a slouch, but when you go to a place like that, yeah, there's a lot of freaks. There are weirdos in there. This isn't a place where you have normal people. They're taking medication. A lot of them are doing weird things. You have serial killers there. You have serial rapists there. Look, Jimmy King was in a regular penitentiary where normal, solid convicts are at. He was considered a solid convict, a guy who was not going to tell on you. So. The first hurdle was being a snitch. Number two, I don't think he was afraid to go to that place other than I'm going to be around a lot of freaks. I don't think he was afraid to be there. I just don't think the stigma that comes with it was something he relished. So how realistic is it that the FBI approaches Keem? I mean, do they really just approach him because he's good looking and can hold a conversation? I mean, there must be quite a few of those guys just if you pull the numbers. I mean, why did they single him out? Well, you know, there's debate as to exactly was he the only guy that they singled out. But it's the same prosecutor. But the, the prosecutor, whose name was Beaumont, not, you know, unless they changed it in the book in the movie, this federal prosecutor named James, and he knew who Larry Hall was. And since it was a federal case, because Larry Hall took a child across state lines for a sexual act, it was under his jurisdiction. He happened to know who Jimmy Keene was, and he also realized that Hall could, in fact, get out if his appeal went the way it looked like it was going. They were going to throw out the confession as being coerced by the police because it's low intelligence, and the guy was just a freaking dummy. And, and it was, you know, they kind of basically tricked them into the confession, which I don't believe, but that's the court will look at it. So they knew they were, they were on a timeline. And I think Jimmy King was a person that they looked at and said, look, this guy, you know, he's, he wasn't just a little charismatic. He was very charismatic. As a drug dealer and the kind of lifestyle he lived, he was that guy that something other men look up at and say, wow, man, I mean, I, I'd like to be that guy. So I think Beaumont and the FBI had a solid plan, and they picked James because of the combination of attributes that he has that they didn't find very easily. And this is a tall task. Listen, when the FBI came to him and asked him to go into that prison, that's a, first of all, it's a huge thing for a prosecutor to do to go to an inmate and say, hey, we'll drop your charge and let you go home free if you get of this. Because ultimately, he could use that against the FBI. 
really came down to it. He could actually turn into a defense witness and say, hey, yeah, I went into I went into prison through my time. The FBI contacted me, and they asked me to lie about this guy. They gave me his file. They told me what to read. They told me what the, where the evidence was at and so I could get a confession from him. And even if I didn't get a confession, they said to make it up. Oh, my God, he could, he could have stung them. So that's not an easy thing for a prosecutor to expose himself that way to a possible lawsuit or a possible, you know, completely undermining the case completely. So they picked this guy very carefully. As I said, he had certain attributes that they believed would help him get a confession by befriending and ultimately fooling Larry Hall. Look, let's not miss war here. James Keene, in the FBI's opinion, was a manipulator, a liar, a guy that could put on a different face and get what they wanted. They needed someone to do the dirty work. They needed someone to take out the trash. Jimmy Keene was that guy, and he did it perfectly. I see. So it's basically like they already knew him. That's how a lot of stuff works, just connections. Uh so, all right, I was I was confused watching the show. I guess I could go back and watch it, but just watching it, I, I didn't understand this part of the plot. So, there's a prosecutor uh, who offered him a plea. They kind of breezed past this, but they offered him a plea, and then they kind of reneged on it and gave him 10 years when he was supposed to get five but in the show, like his lawyer, his own lawyer was involved. And I'm like, is this guy a public defender? And if so, why doesn't Keen have a real lawyer? Uh, none of this made sense to me in the show. So can you maybe clarify any of this? Sure. When, when, a, when a court or a prosecutor comes up to defend it, either state or federal. Okay, so when... A, a prosecutor goes to a defense attorney and says, listen, we got your guy dead back, but we don't want to... So when a prosecutor comes to a defense attorney and says, hey, look, we got your guy. We don't want to spend taxpayer dollars on him. Let's have him plea out. He could get 10 years. Look, we'll give him half that time. Five years, he's out in four or three. Would he take it? So when they go to the defendant, his attorney's really powerless. He makes sure that all the T's are crossed on the particular deal, the plea bargain. But ultimately, like in Jimmy King's case, he went before a judge. And the tricky thing about federal judges are is that federal judges have ultimate power. And from what I understand, it's been a while since I read it, but the judge said the prosecutor has confirmed that we're going to give you five years. Do you understand this? And he says, yes, because you also understand that I have the power to give you more, and by statute, you could get as much as 10 years. Yes, I do. You waive your right to a trial. Yes, I do. So you're basically taking away all your constitutional safeguards by admitting to all this shit. And you are guilty. Yes, I am. And you did this, 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 and that. Yes, I did. Well, at that point, he's at the mercy of the court. The court normally, in 99% of the time, they take the advice of the prosecutor and they understand it feels they want. But a federal judge has the option to say, hey, screw you. I'm not going to follow your suggestions. I think this guy's a bad guy and I'm going to give him the max, which is exactly what happened to Jimmy Kane. 
that's why he got that full sentence. It had nothing to do with his lawyer or the prosecutor. The prosecutor actually thought that the judge was going to give that. But there is that little bit of question mark. Did the prosecutor already know that judge was going to do that? My opinion, I believe he did. Let me call back. Yeah, so I wonder if Keen's... I want to talk about Keen a little bit more because I can't really get a hold on his character. We know he's a normal guy compared to Larry Hall, but so is, like, just about everyone. Um, but he's cocky. In the show, they portray him as cocky, and from what I've seen, he's a little cocky in real life. Probably when he was younger, even more so. That's kind of how that works. Um, so I'm assuming prosecutors the government judges they don't like people that are cocky they they especially hate people that are cocky don't they is that kind of that that must have played into why they screwed him over well yeah no absolutely they, they did not like his attitude he was you know in, in court you know he's you know very good shape the guy works out the guy's quite everything the prosecutor wasn't and, you know, there's, there's a part of the prosecutor who thinks he's got all the power. He looks at this guy, and he doesn't like this guy. I mean, he's a cocky criminal. He sells drugs. He, he supplies guns for people. That's a guy that the government doesn't like. But they like them when they realize he's the guy to go in there and do the dirty work for them. And they like them perfect then. So, yeah, I mean, look, you can't do that job unless you have that personality. They could not have sent some less inte- lesser intelligent guy, less cocky guy. This guy had to be that particular animal that might appeal to a guy like Larry Hall. And I don't mean appeal like him sexually, no. A common, uh, maybe kindred spirit, a person who has maybe some of the same beliefs, but he is possibly a big brother type of relationship. And that's what they're looking for, and he played it perfectly. Yeah. So I want to talk about I want to talk about like if Keen is a is actually a good guy or not. And obviously that's like there's a major generalization there, but what I'm saying is all right, if you're dealing keys of cocaine, I don't know. It's like rich people like Miami people buying this. I don't like, I don't have that big of a problem with you doing that because I feel like people want cocaine when they go to nightclubs. And I don't know. It's And there's obviously a really seedy underside to all this. But I'm just saying, a guy selling cocaine, living on the beach, wearing a Speedo, you know, hooking up with strippers, whatever he was doing, I don't have a huge problem with that guy. But then there's, like, the guns part that they just barely touched on in the show. They actually just showed that he had guns. But then there's that whole side, which sounds very, you know, insidious and dark. So, I mean, is Keen, was Keen just this, uh, I don't know, party guy, party animal guy? Like, you know, they keep saying he was a jock. And it's like, well, normal jocks, if they're, like, really good in high school, they maybe play sports in college. They don't become cocaine dealers. So I just – I didn't really get where his character was at in the show well, or in real yeah. life. Yeah, look, I don't know James Keene, okay? So I'm just generalizing things here. But, look, 
1% of people, or less than 1% of people, make college teams across the country play high school ball. No matter how good he was in high school, he had to be extraordinary to be a college thing, professional football player. Okay, so maybe he didn't make it. What kind of guy is James King? Look, cocky, good-looking, takes advantage of situations. That's what they were looking for. They needed a guy that could manipulate a guy who could use that range of tools that he had because he was a drug dealer. This guy wasn't dealing, you know, dime bags to freaking prostitutes and weirdos. This guy was dealing kilos of cocaine at a high level. The guns, I don't believe that he was dealing guns. I believe those were self-protection. Sometimes cocky guys like to have big guns. It's kind of that thing that why you drive a Porsche when you're a middle-aged guy because maybe you're not you're lacking in other things. Now, drug dealers, cool guys, guns are part of that whole macho thing. I don't believe he was dealing arms. I think he had a few arms in that. But we shouldn't look bad on this guy. And I'm a little biased, you know? I, I guess, hey, Bill, you're a freaking criminal, so you're sticking up for a criminal. How's that? But look, the truth of the matter is they needed him to be who he was. And you look, and cops are manip- manip- manipulators. When they go into a, a room, they, they have to manipulate the killer to talk or the guy to get a confession from him. They needed a guy that had this set of tools. They weren't going to find that in a college room. They weren't going to find that in the football field. They had to find that in prison. Jimmy King is a product of that. And he was the perfect solution to that problem. I'm sure that the people now that have dealt with him say, hey, this guy is what we needed. He is the lesser of two evils. I don't even think Jimmy King can put in that category of being evil. He's a guy who made a mistake. How many of us have not made mistakes in life and wish we could take it back? He made a mistake. Obviously, his life has turned around now. He used his situation. He lectures. He talks to people. He writes books about things. That's a good thing. Maybe the FBI have learned a bit about people that can talk to serial killers. He sounds like a fucking idiot. So look, I'm making generalizations. I think Jimmy King is a pretty stand-up guy. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. But who, you know, who of us can say that we're perfect? I can't. Hell, you know I can't. So, um, I like him, man. Look, he did something, and I, I, I'm in the same boat with him. I, as you know, am, am working on a project that's in some way similar to this. It's not easy. I spent decades with a person, not a couple of weeks or a couple of months like Jimmy King King did. I spent decades with serial killers learning everything I can. Sometimes I can't get in fast enough to shower because of what these guys have said and what they, the actions they've taken in front of me. It's not an easy thing. And in the book, and I'm sure you, you mentioned this, and as you mentioned, look, that guy Hall was a creep. And at some point, Jimmy King told him who he was. He told him he was there to find that and called him a piece of garbage and find out what, what where the bodies were at and everything. He told him. Because Jimmy King hated this guy so much. It's not difficult to see why. This guy murdered and raped children, women, 
mutilated them. When you tell a normal person that, their natural reaction is to get as far away from that person as they can. I know what that feels like. I know Jimmy King knows what that feels like. But he couldn't. He had a job to do. I can't. I live among these people. And honestly, everything I learn that I can teach the public serves a higher purpose. So you ask the question, what kind of guy is Jimmy King? I think he's a good guy. I think he did the right thing. And I think he was able to close the door on a monster before he got out again. Because if he would have gotten out again, Matt, he would have killed and kept killing until they caught him. So, Keen's going into this federal institution. So, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but anytime you go into a new institution, you got to kind of posture yourself and prepare mentally, you know, to come off as a certain way as someone who you don't want to mess with. Um, because people will pick on you if they sense anything vulnerable. But now there's this whole additional uh layer that keen has to factor in which is he you know he must know he's gonna have to put himself out there and you know for example i think we we both know the story that there is an inmate who turned the tv channel and keen had to walk up to him and get into a fight with him or hit him basically uh to impress hall and so, I mean, what do you think his anxiety level, his preparation level, not only is he going into a new institution, but he must know that he's going to have to really be sticking out like a sore thumb almost with a lot of this stuff in order to to get, you know, the trust of Hall. So that's a messy situation, huh? Well, yeah. I think that was very calculated. I think that move, whether it was altered for the audience or, or the book, he, he, he changed a little bit. I think violence speaks volumes in, in prison where a lot of men are at. You had a guy who was picking on Hall or picking on the weaker people who couldn't change the channel or one thing changed. And this guy says, screw you guys. I'm going to do what I want. I'm a tougher guy. So the guys basically bowed their head because of that. I think that Jimmy King saw that situation for what it was, the perfect opportunity to defend possibly what Hall would interpret as him and, and the people that are, that are weaker. He came almost like the white knight for this guy. In a way, that sounds elaborate, but that's what it comes down to. It's the white knight syndrome. Jimmy King walks in, he beats this guy up, they take him to the hole, wherever they put him, and Hall is like, wow, this guy stuck up for me, or us, or the weaker guy. Yeah, it takes a certain mentality, but as I said, Jimmy King knew what he was doing. Once he got into circumstances, it doesn't take you long to figure out what's going on, how people feel about certain individuals. No one liked that guy that would that turned the channel, or maybe it was a different situation. No one really knows because when, when you write books or write creatively for a, for a screenplay where it's a scripted uh, drama, dramatization of what happened, they change things. So you said it was a TV situation. It could have been something different. But um, it was just a situation that he saw and he used it to his benefit, and it worked. Right. 
so I wonder in terms of the, I'm talking the day-to-day, the minute-to-minute kind of tactics here. Um, well, let's look at Larry Hall. And I want to look at you and Keen. You guys are a little similar. But can you talk about Larry Hall and Nasso? How are these two guys similar and different? Because then I, I want to talk about how you worked out your situation versus Keen. But first, I want to get a grip on the two subjects you guys were studying. Well, they're similar. They both are serial killers. They both killed women or young girls. Uh, they're both sexual sadists. Um, they both had a very evil anger towards women uh, that they took out by killing people. Paul, um, like Maisel, involved himself in sexual gratification. Um, the difference is that of course, Hall did it for about 14 years, and Nasal did it for 50 years. Um, so they're similar in that way. There are very different things about each individual. Uh, and Larry Hall seemed to be ashamed of what he did, moments that he would confess because it, it, his conscience was bothering him a little bit. And one of the situations was that he strangled the girl against a tree with belts because he didn't want to see her face. That is a show that he's ashamed of what he's doing. He doesn't want to look at her, so he can basically turn her into a thing rather than a person. Nassau was different. He liked to strangle while he looked at them. That was there was more of a, a sinister monster in Nassau than there is in Larry Hall. Let me call back. Larry Hall seemed to have a conscience about things just for a moment. It doesn't make it less than what he did because he's a monster. Where Nazo has no regrets at all. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows why he wants to do it. And if he would put his brain in that of a young man's body, he would continue doing what he did because he loves it, he relishes it, and he believes it's his reason why he's on this earth. You don't do something for 50 years and not like it. Um, there's not a whole lot more I can say about the case that I'm dealing with. Um, our subscribers and the people listening to Death with Diaries will have to just stay tuned for the book that's coming out in 2023, as well as a possible film that's coming out about it. Um, we, we really, I'm under legal gag not to talk about it. I can only mention that there are a lot of similarities between myself, Jimmy Key, and this, uh, this film, uh, Blackbird. And uh, it's, very, it's fascinating. Look, I, I can only tell you that it's only been done well, twice now, what Jimmy King was able to pull off. Um, those things are uh, in the public. Everybody knows about them. And these things happen every time that a hero comes to prison or somebody wants to get them to talk. No one's been able to do it. Well, except for now. With him and, again, myself. So you'll have to stay tuned, but there are a lot of similarities. And um, we're dealing with two monsters. There is no other way to put this that both of these men were or are monsters. They're not going to change. There is no rehabilitation. There's no redemption for these people. 
They are sexual sadists that only want to do one thing, and that is harm and kill. With the subject like Hall, I'm going to say Hall is more sympathetic than Naso because there are there are moments and this is a dramatic device obviously but I've seen the real Larry Hall doing interviews and speaking from my own experience you start feeling kind of bad for the guy cuz he's he's fairly pathetic he's obese and he's kind of retarded and you start just you know, wondering like, well, how aware was he of what he was doing? You just have more sympathy for a guy like him than, um, I don't know, someone who's like totally calculated and arrogant, like, uh, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. So, but then you remember what he did and you go, Jesus, why am I feeling sorry for this guy? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I I was just going to say that. Now, listen, I, I get what you're saying. Larry Hall is a chubby guy, and in this world, you can't call people fat or chubby because it's a freaking violation of whatever freaking rights you want to get. Look, let's just... Okay, let's forget about the bullshit, okay? This guy, Hall, that's his lure. He looks unassuming. He looks like he's not going to harm anybody. He's a chubby. He plays the part of being kind of dumb. He plays that up. He's not that dumb. Stock women. He was able to do this for 14 years without anybody finding out. Okay? Do not be fooled by that exterior. It's like a woman who kills and kills very well. And you think, oh my gosh, she's a beautiful woman. There's got to be something. You got to find something that's going to, it's redeeming. You feel sorry for them. Don't. This is a monster. And part of his getup, his disguise, is that he looks like a chubby, dumb guy. Uh uh-uh. uh. If you fall for that, and you happen to be a 10 or 12 year old girl, you're going to be in the back of his van. He's going to be doing unspeakable things to you. So, no. Forget that way of thinking. This guy's as big a monster as anyone. He's as big a monster as Richard Ramirez. He's as big a monster as Ted Bundy, BTK. These guys are all the same. Sure, you want to feel a little weird. You see the, you know, he's, he's like, he struggles. I think that's part of an act. I think he knows what people want to hear and expect to hear from him, and that's his greatest disguise. It's like a prey mantis. What does it do best? It disguises itself among leaves. I'm sure if you ask the fly how it feels after he got it, it's going to say, wow, this guy's a predator. That's what Larry Hall is. He's a predator. His disguise is how he looks. Okay, so I guess that factors into what I was getting at. But how, how do you treat this guy, Hall, do you factor in that he plays the sympathy card that he um yeah that he almost has a victimhood thing and that he that he plays a dumb i mean how do you how do you approach how would you approach hall versus uh like naso who's more i don't know articulate and uh just he he doesn't have this asperger's down syndrome thing going on well I mean Jimmy King played it perfect the fight this guy Sully stuck up for him he's probably been picked on before this people probably make fun of him this guy cool guy stuck up for him that was the best way to get in for me it was that in my situation that I'm an artist that I'm a 
globally recognized artist and gallery representing me, that attracted Nexo because he perceived himself to be an artist. He's a photographer, but you know some photographers are artists. You know? um, so just different, every serial killer is different. When I approached Rodney Akala, the dating game killer, again, different approach, highly intelligent, 170 plus IQ, charismatic. He won the dating game. He's not a stupid guy. He knows what he's doing. It took a while. I had to find my way around it to find his weakness. And once I found it, I exploited it. That's what Jimmy King did. That's what I've done for the past, what, 40 years. It's exploit weaknesses that serial killers have so I can get close to them and study them. I mean, I never thought 20, 30 years ago that I was going to be doing a podcast about this or that I was going to write a book about it. I had no idea, no concept of that. I was merely doing what I've done all my life, which is study human behavior. Each subject is different. Psychiatrists do the same thing when they start treating a person. Each person has different uh, symptoms, different things. You have to really analyze that particular person. Serotonin is no different. So what is Keen's mindset going to be? I. I mean, how sensitive are these guys to subtlety? He wants to come and make this impression. He wants to do it pretty quickly. So there's going to be some bragging involved, and he's he's just got to look like this really cool guy. But there's got to be a risk of overdoing it to where you just look like a caricature, right? Well, no, I don't think so. No, I mean, violence just speaks volumes. He didn't have to say a whole lot. Once he beat that guy down, the door was already cracked open. And once Larry Hall saw what this guy was about, and that question in his mind, why did he do this for me? And I'm sure Jimmy King said, no, I didn't do it for you. I don't like people picking on people. And that was his first hint. As I said, I, I wasn't there. I'm going by the book that I read. But I know the types. And I'm, I'm generalizing how Jimmy King did it. And of course, once Larry Hall started talking about revolutionary enactments, girls in general, that girls at that time were ripe at 12 years old, Jimmy King already knew what he was. All he had to do was shape his story and, sh and shape his in with him. And that was that he hated girls as well because they made him feel bad. And once Larry Hall started asking him questions, how many girls have you been with? How many this? And the response was something to the effect of, I've lost count? Wow. His stock rose in Larry's eyes immediately. And again, each step, he had to be very careful. And he did it perfectly. So did Keen actually have any issues with women, or this was purely an act? James Keene, from what I've read, is, was, you know, the perfect guy. Hold on one second. Okay. James Keene, he, he's the guy that he looks like. He looks like the part. So I don't think there was much of a stretch in imagination there. For anybody, he didn't have to be Robert De Niro in this situation. 
he knew what to do because by being the person he was, a drug dealer, a criminal, and the things he did before, he probably convinced a lot of girls to get in his car and, you know, come on, let's go to my apartment. That takes a lot of convincing. Look, I know that sounds kind of weird today's day where, you know, a woman says that you convince her that you're a sexual predator. You know, James Keene is a smooth guy. When I was growing up, when a guy was smooth with the ladies, he was the guy who basically talked his way in the bedrooms. So I think that's the kind of guy that he was. He just used those tools in an entirely different situation. Look, a, a hammer works on breaking windows or, you know, driving nails, correct? His tools work for that situation. Yeah. So let's skip ahead to the kind of the evidence and you had a similar a really a very similar situation with naso but um so larry hall shows keen some drawings that are like based on actual killings and this is the information that keen needs so how do you navigate that situation? Go ahead. Well, it was purely by chance with, um, with Larry Hall. He did not show King the drawings or those things. It was an accident. He actually saw that Larry Hall had a map, and on those maps he had drawn either X's or red dots. And he had these, I believe they were wood falcons, and he elaborated that they were guardians of the dead, and that he, he, was, he wanted to send them out so his brother could put them at the grave sites of these women because they'd watch over the dead. You know, again, we are taking liberties here because the movie, as you explained to me, says one thing, but the book is slightly different. So I, I, that sounds very true to me. It rings true that Larry Hall did this. You and I have talked about a case very similar to this, and that was the Butcher Baker. Behind his uh, headboard, he had a map with 37 red dots and X's. And he kept those to himself because they were, they were kill sites. So he was reliving them, like serial killers keep, uh, serial killers keep trophies or pieces of hair or w w what have you. This is similar to what Hall had. It was a murder map. A, a list of, of kills, his accomplishment, because to serial killers, the intimacy of the kill is their greatest accomplishment. So he was reliving them. James Key was able to see that. And he memorized a lot of it. Unfortunately, with Larry Hall, this map, this map for, for uh, Hall was really a murder map. It was a list for him. And it really allowed him to relive things. And James King was able to see it. He saw it and he copied it in his mind. He kind of memorized it. But that really didn't keep Mary Hall in prison. Let me call that. So if that wasn't the evidence that kept him in prison, what did keep him in prison? Okay, so James King did draw the map for law enforcement. They couldn't find the bodies. But... Mary Hall began to share things with him, and a few of the things that he shared with him had to do with what state the evidence was in when the police went to the sites where
girls were dead or found. And in one instance, police never released that the clothes were all folded very nicely next to a tree. When Larry Hall told James Keene that, and James Keene confirmed that the police, that had never been released before, so there's no way Keene would have known that unless it came from Larry. And that is part of the evidence, because ultimately Larry Hall did receive a new trial. They threw out the confessions. But when he went a retrial, and of course, now that they're armed with James Keene, he puts all the dots together for the judge or jury, and immediately they found him guilty, and they sent Larry Hall to prison for the rest of his life. Uh, ultimately, uh, in the first conviction, he was not convicted of murder. They could not uh, determine the cause of death to, to young uh, Miss Roach. So therefore, they could not attribute to him. So what they could convict him of was rape, kidnapping, and taking a child across state lines for the act of sex. That is a federal crime, and they were able to give him life for that. So that's how they got him. Uh, James King played a big part in it, and we have a serial killer who is not going to get out of prison, uh, and the public is safe because of that. So how did, how would you expect if Keen was doing a good job and curious in your situation too, when you're shown these smoking guns by these guys, do you, you don't want to act like it's a big deal. I'm assuming cause you don't want to draw too much attention to what's going on, but you still have to needle them a little bit to try and get more details. So how do you navigate that situation? Like you got to kind of shrug it off because you don't want them to catch on to you. Like you are really fascinated by this information, I assume. Um, so do you just downplay it? But then I assume every time you come back to it, you're risking them just completely shutting you down. Well, true. And it depends on the serial killer, but I think the opposite is true. Um, they're sharing with you these intimate details, which normally serial killers don't do because, as I mentioned before, it's intimate to them. It's theirs. It's the reason why we see these serial killers will give up 17 of his other murders, but the other one they keep for themselves. The butcher baker, because he had 37 X's on that map, and he gave the police 17, and the rest he wouldn't talk about. There's a reason for that. They're very intimate. So when a serial killer talks to someone, which is rare to begin with, but it, there are cases that it's been done. They find somebody they believe is a kindred spirit. I mentioned Lawrence Bitteker and his partner. They were uh, California Department of Corrections in the men's colony, and they planned murders together. So when this happens, you have to be a little excited. You, as much as you want to vomit your own mouth, you have to share the enthusiasm. You have to show the enthusiasm that this guy is sharing something so special to him, but it's equally as special to you. Otherwise, he won't continue to share. Usually they share something small. See how you respond. If you respond appropriately, which is to be excited about something like that, you talk about it, which makes you want to take a freaking shower right away. I'm sure this is exactly what King did. This guy told him things, little things. 
but then he began to expand because his response was appropriate. That is where the technique comes in of manipulation and really wearing that mask. It's not easy. I don't know how many times I want to strangle one of those freaking therapists that are talking to me because they're sitting there touching themselves while they're telling you this stuff. But you have to be able to shove it down as far deep as you can and just listen and try to act as if it's the most normal thing in the world. Otherwise, they shut down. But if you respond appropriate, like James did, and like I have, you get a plethora of information that no one's ever heard before. It's like Jane Goodall. You go into the forest, no one has seen these actions by gorillas, and she lived with them, so she saw things that no one had even imagined before. It's patience, it's dedication, those are type of some of the attributes that you need to be able to mind hunt a serial killer. Yeah. Well, I guess we can leave it there for now. We'll probably return to this discussion again. And uh, yeah. Well, thanks for for giving us your your wisdom, Bill. Well, thank you, man. I, and now you made me want to feel like I can take a damn shower. I gotta think about this stuff again. As you're asking these questions, I'm getting all these thoughts and these images of these guys doing this stuff, and now I'm scarred for life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, oh, I was gonna tell our listeners. Uh, you know, we've had some technical difficulties. I've had just a bunch of disasters go down. Nothing that serious, but um, we're. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me. Do you like when the episodes come out on Friday or on Monday? Because we were releasing them on Monday, and then we got a little bit kind of uh, sidetracked, I guess. And now they've been coming out on Friday. So I don't know. What do you think? That's a, that's a question definitely for the audience because um, I don't know either way. Yeah. <laughs> and all the technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen, blame them on Matt Ralston, and that's 909 333 46. Yeah, I am prone to the technical difficulties due to my uh, my sponsorship by Dell Computers. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Bill. And we'll have a regular episode coming out that you guys can check out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to those. And uh, and we'll have another Patreon episode next week. So until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it.